What do you get when you have a high school dropout, professional mountain biker, and a totally cool dude? A large, amazing bike company. No, we're not talking fantasy. We're talking about Jeff Cayley, CEO and founder of Worldwide Cyclery. Jeff started Worldwide Cyclery after spending a year buying and selling products online from wholesale accounts after leaving his professional mountain bike career. He fundamentally understood what was missing from the industry and how to make it better. Jeff decided to take a bet on himself. At 21, using all of his savings and having his dad co-sign the lease, he's able to get a shop up and running and started signing on wholesale accounts. A few years later, they were one of the biggest in the industry. Join us as we chat with Jeff Keighley about his journey. And, and we actually took it over from them. And, uh, and like all the media guys here just figured out everything. So like, um, which we obviously don't use this mic. This is just at my desk in here, but we have like in our conference room when we set it up, they have like a whole big like road soundboard and everything. And then they have all the mics linked into that. And then like one dude with headphones on and he's like messing with the audio levels the whole time. Okay. So I don't know. They, they figured it out, but that's, there's usually two or three people on that one at the same time. And then like one guy messing with the levels. Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't know exactly how they're doing it, but I think that board like records the audio directly to an SD card or something, but I don't know. But I think there's like a thousand different ways to do it and you just need a good mic and to speak closely to it. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah, true. I feel like the, I, I need the Joe Rogan setup for that, but yeah. I know he probably has a cost of fortune on what he's bought for all that whole thing. No kidding. No kidding. Crazy. I'm bummed I missed you last week in LA. I ended up staying for almost another week. Um, oh, did you really? Yeah. It was it was super fun. Some of my friends came down from Minnesota and they rented a place there. So Oh we, wow. We had, yeah. we had a good time. <laughs> you just went there for a vacation? It was kind of vacation. It was like work I mean I could work because I basically just like this is my, I'm in my room right now. It's like my office. Yeah. Um but uh so I'm able to work down there as well. So nice. and we just and we just launched on the app store too uh yesterday, which is kinda cool. So Oh really? Yeah, congrats, yeah. man. That's a big deal. Nice. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So yeah, man, it's been a trek. But dude, appreciate you so much for taking the time to chat. Um I was doing some research online from like some of your previous interviews and you have an incredible journey. So I'm super excited to uh, ask you some questions about it and for you to share that with us because it's uh, super unique. So yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So, um, kind of first things first, I'd be curious to hear like how you got into mountain biking. So you were a professional mountain biker. What was your first like impetus to start mountain biking? I feel like one of the, one of the things when you were a kid, you, you like a, one of the biggest accomplishments, accomplished accomplishments is learning to ride a bike. And so, um, I, I don't know, I'd be curious to hear your story around that. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Southern California and uh, extreme sports of all kinds were just popular. And that's what like all the kids did in the neighborhood. And uh, I didn't have parents that did mountain biking or any type of extreme sports, but just all the friends in the neighborhood did. So yeah, got into like BMX riding initially and then, you know, skateboarding and motocross for a long time. And then by the time I was 13, uh, just a, a good friend of mine, his dad had a mountain bike and got a new one. So then he was riding his dad's old one. And then I was like, dude, that looks like this cool combination of a BMX bike and a dirt bike. And he's like, yeah, it's super fun. And I was like, well, can I ride yours and you ride your dad's? And like, so we just went out and did that. And I pretty much just instantly fell in love with it when, yeah, that was when I was in eighth grade. And, and I was just like, wow, that was the funnest thing ever. Cause it was exactly the combination of, of motocross and BMX together and just so much fun and then it, kind of from there i just i uh, i actually sold the dirt bike i had at the time to uh spend the money on a mountain bike oh. and then just fell in love with the sport and just got into it and i just had unbelievably still have unbelievably supportive and amazing parents that pretty much supported me in anything i did so huge advantage there and yeah got into mountain biking and then got a good bike and then took me to some local races and started racing and, you know, had some decent results and got sponsored at a pretty young age and then got good enough to where I was like sponsored. And then in high school, I qualified for charter school, which was like in SoCal, at least charter school is more or less just like child actors. And then a, a few athletes in there that can qualify to do that. So they don't have to go to traditional high school. So I didn't go the last two years of high school. I just oh, wow. raced bikes around the country and um, kind of experienced that life for a little bit. And yeah, that was, that's kind of like how it, how it spawned initially from the early days. Who's your, who's your first sponsor and what was it like 
I'm curious what it was like. I mean, I suppose this is probably normal for you not going to high school, but what was it, was it like those last couple of years of, were you, did you feel like you missed out on anything or did you feel like that you were experiencing more doing what you were doing? Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know. I think you're always going to have FOMO to some extent, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, first sponsor, I think it was Utopia, which was a goggle company. I don't even think they're in business anymore. Right. And then eventually it was like uh, KHS and Maxis and, then I started riding for a company called Morewood, which was a South African bike company. Um, yeah, so that, that was cool. I mean, mountain bike racing, like I was doing the enduro and downhill stuff, and it's it's not glamorous. I don't know if like, I mean, maybe like, you know, soccer and NFL and MLB, like that's that's glamorous. But mountain biking as a professional and as like a junior professional is, is not really that glamorous. It's definitely fun. Like you get to travel all around North America and you know, race cool ski resorts and, and that sort of thing. But there's a lot of broken bones. And, you know, again, it's it's not like a high paying glamorous sport, even at the top level, let alone when you're like a up, up and coming junior. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it. And I had a ton of fun traveling and riding and racing. And um, yeah, I think there was there was a level of like, eh, am I missing out on the last two years of high school? And, you know, yeah, for sure. There, there was definitely like some, you know, some looking back at that, like, man, I kind of like never experienced the whole senior year thing in high school that all my friends got to. And senior um, slide, you never experienced a senior slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, shit <laughs> like that. And then, uh, yeah, you know, it's just that was what it was. And then, you know, I basically after high school, um, I raced a well, well, to give you the full story, I only went to charter school for about a year. And then I found out about this thing called the California High School Proficiency Exam which apparently was like an actual high school diploma, but it's it's not a GED, whereas a GED is like not technically a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I asked to take that. And, and basically all the teachers are sort of indoctrinated to tell kids not to take that because like you can just get a high school diploma yeah. and like yeah. they don't, then the schools don't make any money because they're not getting attendance. Um, but anyways, I, I took that. So I didn't really technically even graduate high school or charter school properly. I just snuck out on the the proficiency exam so a year early a year early too yeah a year early wow. yep. so pulled pulled that off and then you know just kept staying dedicated to racing and then yeah you know like by the time i was 19 i'd, I'd raced a couple years pro and i was just kind of burnt out on making the sport feel like a job rather than feel like it was something that i did for fun and I just got more into the business side of things and just got kind of tired of breaking bones all the time because downhill and enduro is just, was just a super extreme sport in that sense. So yeah, a lot of injuries and got kind of burned out on it a little bit. Um, so yeah, then, then from there, just like, you know, got into the business side of things and then started a business when I was 21. So totally missed out on the last two years of high school and then missed out entirely on the college experience, which also looked you know, maybe sort of useful, but at least it looked really fun. So yeah, there, there's always a level of like, oh man, I kind of missed out on that. I think you nailed it right in the head on the, on the college part. I, I never graduated either. I dropped out when I was 19. Um, but uh, but I, def- I definitely feel you on the FOMO part. Yeah. Um, what was it like racing? So you said the enduro and then I don't remember the other one, the downhill. downhill. So is, it, is that like where you do like backflips and stuff? Or is that just like the quickest person to the bottom of the hill basically? Yeah, so so downhill mountain bike racing is actually very similar to downhill ski racing, right? Which oh, I think a lot of people yeah. understand just because it's in the Olympics. Um, so yeah, downhill mountain bike racing is like a single track course. There's just tons of rocks and jumps, and um, it's pretty high speed. And it's it's even on the same mountains. It's like you do it at ski resorts in the summertime. So you take the ski lift up, and then it's just a single rider time trial, one run, um, top to bottom, who has the fastest time. So. Um, it's, it's still like pretty well, I mean, there's the whole, it's much larger, it's a much bigger sport in Europe. Um, UCI is like the sanctioning body of the whole thing and cross country mountain biking is in the Olympics, but downhill has historically not been, and I'm not sure if it's going to get petitioned to be in this time or not, but, um, yeah, I don't know. BMX and cross country is, but downhill is not, but yeah, downhill mountain biking is just like kind of downhill ski racing. So yeah, very high speed, very dangerous. There's no tricks or anything involved because it's not like a freestyle competition. It's just a straight time trial sort of thing. So yeah, yeah super fun, but also very dangerous. Yeah, that is kind of sweet. Um, so as you were getting burned out, what was that? What was your transition like? Like, did you kind of realize that your time from t- your time as a, you know, as an athlete was kind of winding down, you were getting more into the business side of things? Or did you realize that maybe this wasn't what you wanted to do? Or like, what was that transition? What was your headspace like then? 
Yeah, that's a good question, you know, because like as as a kid, you know, I was kind of caught up in like that's all I really knew was just racing bikes and having fun on bikes and traveling and all that sort of stuff and kind of saw that as a career path. But I also always thought uh, it's funny because I actually I dated a girl in high school or well, like in high school age for for a couple of years. And and uh, her dad was actually a cool guy. And he would always pressure me. He's like, well, what are you going to do if this racing career doesn't work out or, or you, you know, break your leg or whatever? Um, so I always thought about that. And I, I always I worked at local shops, sort of especially one in particular called Michael's Bicycles, which is just a local shop to me as a kid. And, um, so I, I loved like working in the industry. Like I really enjoyed the mechanic side of it. I really enjoyed the sales side of it. Um, so I, I just, I liked that. So I always thought like, yeah, if racing doesn't work out, I'll just get a job in the industry because I love and enjoy the industry. And yeah, by the time I was getting sort of burnt out and, and it was also a combination too of like, I was at a level where, where I was like pretty good nationally, like top 10 nationally, but it wasn't, I probably wasn't good enough to like really excel on the world cup stage. Um, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, but I, I never really took it far enough. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, headspace wise, I, I definitely, I definitely got to a point where, you know, I just, I just felt like, I felt like the sport, the racing, what I was doing, whereas in the earlier years, it was, it was show up, it was a new location. It was awesome. It was like, memorize this track, ride as fast as you can, you know, a lot of competition, a lot of fun. And, and I enjoyed it. And then it kind of got to be, and I, I spent a year out East racing too. And it kind of, it started feeling more like work. Like it was just, mm -hmm. there was so much mud and it was a hassle and it was like just all this laundry and cleaning your bike and destroying your bike and rebuilding it. And it was, it was just tough. So it, the whole, like the whole shebang of it just started feeling like a hassle rather than like fun. And, and that's when I also started, you know, that was like at age 19, 20. And I think a lot of people um, kind of go through like a coming of age at that point. I started reading some more books. Um, and in the off season, I also started, uh, I would, I had always been, so, so to recap, like I'd been selling stuff on eBay since I was a little kid, since I was like 10, 11 years old. So I was always like very entrepreneurial minded. And I was, I would work at a local shop as a t young teenager and then like, get parts at cost, ride them for a little bit, sell them online, whether it be eBay or forums or something. And, um, so I'd always kind of been like doing businessy stuff and I never really realized how like entrepreneurial minded that was until I looked back at it in my later years. Um, but yeah, so, so I always did that. And then, you know, I just got to the point where in the one off season, a friend of mine's dad got me this wholesale account at this like liquidation home goods thing. It like, it was kind of like Ashley furniture almost where it's like, if like Ashley furniture or home Depot or Lowe's have too much back stock of whatever faucets, shower heads, couches, like all sorts of random stuff. They, this liquidation wholesaler buys it and then they sell it to contractors or I don't even know where else they sell it to, but he got me an account there because he knew I could sell stuff on eBay. Well, um, and I started selling these faucets and then I started just slanging faucets to, to a pretty good, pretty good clip. And then, and then realize like, wow, e-commerce is a, is a real deal. Like this is a huge market. You can sell a lot of shit on the internet, you know, like <laughs> I think once you realize, you know, as, as a, as a young kid, once you realize like, wow, you can sell a lot of stuff on the internet and there's mm -hmm. millions and billions of people buying stuff on here. And it's really not all that hard to do. You just see an opportunity. And for me, it was like, wow, I, you know, totally do not like faucets and don't give a crap about it. But, but I do know and like bike stuff. So that's, that's kind of what like sparked the idea. I was like, wow, I think I could probably legitimately sell a ton of bike stuff online. And, and then you just start like looking like, oh, what are the other competitors doing? Is there a hole in the market? What are some advantages and disadvantages of, of doing it this way? Where are people sort of leaving money on the table? Where, where is there unsophistication in this industry that you, mm -hmm. could, you could swipe up? And so you start just seeing all that sort of stuff. And that's kind of how like I, you know, got the idea to start Worldwide Cycler to begin with. And, and yeah, like my headspace was just, I was thinking about that way more. So I'd be like going to a race, but I would be thinking about like, oh, who are the people here that consume this stuff? Who are the average riders? Who are the racers? Where, like, I was just realizing like, That's oh man, cool. like I'm thinking about business all day. I'm not thinking about racing bikes all day. Like I clearly just like this more. 
you know, yeah. and, and for, for me, it was like, well, I'm just going to let that passion run because it's entertaining. And I'm also kind of burnt out on racing at this point. So yeah, it was kind of just a natural evolution. So I didn't have like a breakdown of like, oh, I'm going to quit racing. And then what do I do next? It kind of just like happened naturally, like throughout one season of racing. Yeah. That's, that's super crazy about the liquidation stuff. So that was actually one of my first businesses, businesses outside of, uh, after I left the university, um, we got this investor and I'm not sure if you've heard of Jacob's trading company. Uh, but no. they're a large, they're a large liquidation liquidation reseller. I think they're the largest in the Midwest, uh, but they're based in Minneapolis. And so we would, we would get uh, liquidated inventory from them, whether it was uh, like just a bunch of random shit, basically from like Amazon, Target, yeah. and all the random stores. Then we'd get their stuff and then sell it online. And, you know, 20% of the product was defect, so you had to throw it out, but you make yeah. it up from the other stuff. So it was kind of, it's very cool to see the, like when you, when you were talking about that, I very much like felt a connection because I went, you know, through a very similar experience with that. So. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. I know it's 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 fun to like just sell stuff on the internet for the first time. And and then especially once you get to like even a somewhat small scale but larger than just like a hobby and you're like, "Oh, wow, this is a like a real thing. Like you could make yeah. money doing this," you know. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a fun realization that I think a lot of people don't ever have because they've never just tried to sell stuff online and yeah. realize like, "Oh, wow, this is very this is very doable and it's really not that hard. Like you don't need to be a genius to figure out how to do it." Yeah. Well, that's coming from a genius, so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, so so was that was that was, so when you first started selling, that was kind of your lead into worldwide secularly. What was the like the opportunity that you realized? I know you kind of touched on it briefly, but maybe going more more in depth to the opportunity that you saw uh, to kind of take over the market, like you guys. Yeah, doing. yeah, absolutely. So the so the way it evolved, you know, it was like once I kind of realized, wow, there's there's real scale, and it's just like a you know, there's validity to this idea of selling things on the internet. Um, then, then I started really researching the bicycle industry in specific, cause like, that's what I knew and enjoyed and had the most knowledge about and thought, man, if I'm going to try to build an e-commerce business, I'd love it to be in that industry. Cause I know it and love it. Um, so, so I just started doing research. So I spent, I spent a year, um, literally just planning. So I spent a year, um, still working at that same local shop. Um, and, as I worked there, that was like a, a really great mom and pop shop, super nice owners. And, and the owner is the owners like it's like owner operated. They do a great job at their business, but they're not they're not like full of business acumen and they're, they're not trying to take over the world per se. They just want to have like a good local small business, which is totally cool. Um, mm -hmm. and, and they're older, so they're, they're certainly not interested in, in selling stuff on the Internet um, like I was. But, you know, I asked the owner there when I worked there, I said, hey, I think I could sell a lot of stuff online. Um, do you have, do you have any interest in this? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, nah, but you can totally do it. And you're welcome to buy stuff from our wholesale accounts and, and sell it on your own time. And I was oh, like, yeah. Oh, thanks. So like, that was just a, it was a huge win, right? Huge win. So I would work there throughout the day. Um, and then I would buy stuff from their wholesale accounts just on my own credit card. Um, then I would go home after work and I would post that stuff on eBay and forums and whatever. And, and then I would sell it. And so I, that's, I spent a year doing that. I spent a year like just testing the waters, like really understanding what the hell's going on, who buys this stuff, how do you ship it, you know, what countries buy this sort of stuff, what states buy this, who are the key distributors that I need to work with, the key brands that matter, what are the barriers to entry to the whole thing? Like is really just learning the industry. Mm -hmm. And and that's where I think, you know, everyone's in some type of industry. Like we all work in some type of industry. The more you can learn it, the more that gives you the ability to see opportunities. I mean, shoot, you're a spitting example of that, right? Like you mm -hmm. learned the gym industry after you saw a huge opportunity and, and charged ahead with that. So Absolutely. yeah. So same exact thing. I just I learned the industry. I, I better understood sort of the flow of product, who the distributors were, all of that sort of stuff. And, and spent a year just studying, researching, thinking, and, and then finally like dove in and said, all right, like, because the, the key barrier to entry for me was you had to have a physical retail store in order to get accounts with all these brands and wholesalers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after I was really confident I could pull it off, um, that's when I opened up the first small retail store. And that was sort of the birth of Worldwide Cyclery. And yeah, super small scales, basically me by myself, um, occasionally recruiting friends to help with odds and ends things, but it was me by myself, just like posting stuff on the internet, getting wholesale accounts lined up, um, you know, figuring out how to sell the stuff online. And it was, I was 21 at the time. So it was, it was very small scale. And, um, yeah, the, the opportunities I saw like throughout that year of research really were, um, it was a couple things, right? 
it was marketing and it was um, customer support and just overall sophistication, right? So like if you, the landscape in 2011 of like e-commerce bike stuff, mountain bike stuff in particular, there was a ton of unsophisticated people, meaning that like, yeah, they had websites, but they were kind of crappy websites or yeah, there was stuff on eBay, but like the pictures weren't very good. The descriptions were pretty poor. You know, there was no clarity on like how, you know, how it would ship, how quickly you would get it. There wasn't, there wasn't any like valuable help, like, cause there's a lot of technical products and it's like, well, how does this, does this fit? How does this work? Like, why should I buy this one over that one? There was like a ton of like lack of that in, in general, no like proper marketing, no good branding, no good marketing from any of these companies. Like there, there were some staples that were around, but they were pretty much just around because they were like the only people that sold it. Right. So like when you Googled stuff, you would just end up buying it from them because they were the, you know, it wasn't very many of them and they were just unsophisticated because they just didn't have much competition at the time. So to me, it was like, well, there's a huge opportunity. We can just operate more sophisticated, operate with better marketing, um, operate with just, you know, much better everything, customer support, branding, clarity on shipping times, like all the stuff that now is much more commonplace in our industry and e-commerce in general. Mm-hmm. But even 10 years ago or nine years ago, it wasn't right. Nine years ago, with the, nine years ago, people were still, most people were still afraid of like, oh, I don't want to put my credit card on a website, you know, yeah. like, you know, so, so it's, it's changed a ton. Um, so yeah, those were sort of the opportunities that I saw and the ones that obviously initially starting the business really made sure to focus on, to just make sure we had some type of competitive advantage and some type of like differentiation against the competitors already in the market. So yeah, it was just kind of like an analysis of what was going on and where the best time would be spent to execute and hopefully build something that grew and scaled and would be valuable to the consumers within that industry. I love the story when you're at the, when you have your first shop and it's basically just you in there. Like, I don't know, like, it's just, it's just, to me, it's so inspirational because like you, you saw, you saw what this could become. You saw the opportunity and you're just kind of like, you reach down to the unknown and, and you're just going for it. Right. And you don't know if it's going to work. You have, you have this hunch and I don't know. I just think that the spirit of that is just, is just beautiful. So I really do. I I love that story. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, it, it was fun. I mean, it certainly was, it, it was so weird because to me, like, yeah, it was it was a total risk and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know. I, I never I never felt that it was super risky. And especially because I spent so much time researching, understanding and planning. And I guess not so much time in mean, a year. That seems like a long it seemed like a long time then. Um, and, uh, and then I, I just had backup plans out the Wazoo. Right. So like that building, the lease on it was uh, fifteen hundred dollars a month. And my plan was if if it failed um, and it really just wasn't working, uh, I I was living I was renting a room at the time just with some other some other dudes in a house and you know it's typical stuff you do in your early twenties and I was like well I'll just I'll just sleep in my truck if this doesn't work out so I don't have to pay my rent um, <laughs> and then I'll just work at this other job and just pay the lease from this other job. Like I had all, I had all this backup plan sorted out, like in case it all failed. So it wasn't like I just went into it with like guns blazing, full confidence, you know, to some extent, like I knew what I was doing, but to a large extent, I also didn't know what I was doing uh, or didn't know if it was going to work. But I knew that like the end of the day, like it's just money. Right. And it's like, if it doesn't work, I'll just work this other job to pay the lease off until the lease expires after 12 months. And you know, then I'm back to square one and whatever. So I don't know, to me, to me, it was like just a fun, worthy risk worth taking. Um, and, and I didn't, I certainly did not realize how big it would get over the following five, eight years. I just kind of thought, well, I hopefully can make it work and be successful and not have to work for someone else. And, you know, my goal then was like, I'm going to like sell X amount of stuff and like, hopefully make like 60 grand a year. I was like really pumped on like just doing that. Like yeah. I, I didn't even think about like you know, where it could go, what it could end up being, like how many people it could end up impacting, how many employees we'd have, or like the revenue it would eventually, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. And, and uh, when I started it too, like I dead serious did not even know what a, what a PL or a balance sheet was. Like, I didn't even know. I just like, was like just doing shit on, like, I pretty much invented a balance sheet on a spreadsheet and I, and I called it a total capital minus debt. And, <laughs> and then like later realized like, oh yeah, this is like, 
basically I just like invented a balance sheet, which has been a, you know, around for a million years and just general <laughs> business accounting, but, but I didn't know, you know, and so I just learned yeah. all that shit along the way. So yeah. yeah, no excuses for anyone. It's like, Oh, I really need to learn business before I start it. Like, nah, you could probably, you could still start it and just wing it, you know, and learn on, learn as you go. So. <laughs> well, I feel like, I feel like you're so much more open to like maybe being in that um you know non-expert state to be like a neophyte like you're super new I th- but most people for whatever reason they're not willing to do that right they're for fear of like how they'll look from other people or if they fail and like for example you talking about like you sleeping in your car as your backup plan like most people would not be willing to go that far you know what i mean so i yeah. think that like i think that's why i don't know i mean that's why entrepreneurs i think are valued as as they are in societies because they're willing to do and and go to places that most people aren't which is kind of interesting yeah yeah that's true yeah that's a good point yeah i mean for me it was like i don't know i i just didn't really i didn't really care too much about what other people were thinking about what i was doing Mm -hmm. you know because frankly most of them didn't understand it most of the people that like locally and friends and all that sort of stuff like they didn't even understand what the hell professional mountain biking was or if that was even a real thing you know (laughs) so i was like what you know i was kind of used to it at that point like oh that's what i was trying to do and people were like you can make money racing mountain bikes and i was like yeah it's like sort of a career you know i was like i don't know at that point i was like whatever like no one i don't really care to explain myself i'm just gonna go try this shit and see if it works and i mean man at that age too like everyone else that i knew was was just getting hammered drunk you know four nights a week in college partying so like those those friends were all checked out doing their thing and i was like yeah i'm just gonna try and start this like online bike shop and see what happens <laughs> yeah do you think that naivete that you had when you like started it really helped like for example like you didn't really know how to you didn't know how to do your PL and you weren't really you didn't really have like a business plan at least it seems like to build this into a big business you were just kind of focused on providing the best experience to the people that you had do you think that was a big advantage um it's an interesting question. I don't, I don't know if it was necessarily an advantage. I, I think like now, if I were to do it over again, I would be, I would just come into it with a lot more knowledge and business acumen from the start. Yeah. Um, but, at, but at the same time, you know, I don't think it mattered as much as people think it does, right? Like, yeah, like the better you are at the game of business and understanding, you know, financial metrics and strategy and marketing and branding and all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, sure. That's, that's going to help you come in swinging and make things happen faster. Um, and I didn't have any of that coming into it and, but still just dove in headfirst and tried and just kind of like, it was that whole, I mean, you've probably heard it. It's, it's like building a, building a parachute as you're falling out of the plane type of thing. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of that thing. I mean, the end of the day, like when you start a small business for the first time, you're not going to be that busy a hundred percent of the day. So like, you're going to have, you know, some of your day is going to be like actually selling product or like doing admin work and shipping stuff or whatever it is. And then there's going to be a huge amount of your day where you just don't really have anything to do, but learn and just Mm -hmm. sit there and like, learn, huh, what's a strategy I could use to sell more. And then you're just like Googling digital marketing strategies and then like trying to implement one of those the next day. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I just think there's always time to learn and you can just learn as the business is operating. And, And frankly, like that's the best way to do it because you can learn about digital marketing strategies all day, but if you don't have something, even a small little side hustle or small business to like try those, you'll never truly understand them or truly understand which ones work and which ones don't work for your particular business and your particular industry. So like you have to have something to test. It's it's like it's like reading about how to ride a bike. Like you can read about it all day, but like you're sure as hell never going to get good at it unless you actually are in the saddle riding the thing all day. So I don't know. So for me, I think that like it was better to just jump in and start and figure it out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it was an advantage, but I wouldn't say it was a disadvantage either. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And even I feel like at times I'm guilty of that too, like where I'll, I'll read about something and I won't necessarily uh, act on it. And and even though I have the platform too, I feel like that's something that I could continually get better at is just like, acting on things that I learn on, learn about. So, yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, it, that's a huge thing is like constantly learning and then actually like implementing that knowledge and testing stuff. I think that's another key thing that a lot of people sort of miss out on in life and especially in business. Yeah. Cause otherwise you forget about it. Like you just kind of go to yeah. the back burner and then goes away. Cause it, there's a lot of things that I've spent. Cause um, like you do have a lot of time in your hands. A lot, a lot of things that I've spent learning over the past, you know, year, I think like some of them I've actually forgotten. It's been really it could be useful things at certain times. So I, yeah, that, that's moving forward. That's definitely something that I'm, 
I know personally I need, need to work at. So, um, but yeah, so, so you started worldwide secularly. What was the first couple of years of growth like, like for worldwide secularly? I mean, you, you were at the, you just had the one location. What did it like, what did it look like at year one, year two, year three? Like, what was that progression like? Yeah. So it was, it was pretty small, you know, year one was kind of a lot about building infrastructure. And what I mean by infrastructure, I mean, like just figuring out general things, like how are we going to ship things? You know, just like the stupidest small, like every little detail matters, right? It's like, well, what envelopes are we going to use? What boxes are we going to use? Where are we going to source those things? What about tape guns? Like what post office are we going to go to? We're going to use USPS, FedEx, UPS, like, I don't know, all that like little sort of fundamental foundational stuff. Like we did a lot of that uh, in the first year. And then, um, and then it was like, you know, just like scrappy, like posting stuff on, you know, eBay and forums and whatever, and, and sorting that out. And then also it was like getting all those wholesale accounts. It was like just trying, because a lot of, you know, a lot of the people that I talked to, we're just not convinced. They're just like, oh, this is like a little podunk retail store. Like, we're not going to give you a wholesale account. So like, I did a lot of begging and pleading and explaining and, you know, like asking these wholesalers and brands to just like take a chance on me. Can you go um, more depth than that? What was that like? Because that is, I think that's something that a lot of startups struggle with, right? Is getting those, the, the people to trust them, especially some of the bigger players. Yeah, yeah. That was hard. I mean, it, it was it was like that was probably the most nerve wracking and intense thing that I did within that first year was just like contact these people, um, and and especially getting nose right. And it was like it was like fuck. What am I? What do I do? Like I like you know because there was a couple key distributors that I more or less knew. Like if I can't get this account open, this is over. Like this is not going to work. Like I have to have this open. Um, cause I, then it would open up all this different access. And then they, you know, they would send, um, their sort of like, it's called an outside rep to your store to like physically inspect it and meet you and stuff before they'd open you up. And, you know, for me, it was like, I was just, they'd never seen anything like this. Like one, it was like a totally dinky little store. Um, but it was also just one young kid sitting in there, you know, and like, I look young to begin with. So being 21, I probably look like I was 15. Um, so like that made it, that made it even harder, but yeah, you know, just trying to, you know, think strategically about, well, how am I going to create a relationship with this person and, and make them believe in me? Cause that's really all you need to do. Right. Like they, they obviously want to sell product and want to open up new accounts. Like it's in their best interest to do that. But at the same time, they don't want to open an account that is going to, rack up some money on terms and then not pay him, you know, or an account that's going to be more of a hassle than it's worth and just, you know, barely spend any money with them and be a thorn in their side for 10 years. Like they, you know, so they're, they're being cautious to open those accounts, even though it's in their best interest to open new ones. So, yeah. yeah. So to me, it was like, well, how do I think strategically about like explaining my story and what I'm trying to do? And then just like hoping these people take a chance. And, and a lot of it, frankly, was, was just candidly asking, you know, like I would just tell them what I'm doing, what I'm trying to do, you know, why I thought it was going to work. And then they would still look at me with like this blank stare with no answer. And then I would just legitimately look them right in the eye and be like, just please open my account, you know, <laughs> like, oh just please, like, yeah. just please just open this account. I promise you, I won't bother you, you know, like understanding their business too, right? Like I promise I won't cause a problem. You know, we won't do terms, we'll buy credit card only. So you have no financial risk tied up in this thing. Um, we won't hassle your customer support and internally. We, you know, we'll do minimal returns if any. Like I just like understood sort of their worries and I tried to like settle all those down to where it was just like really no risk for them. They're like, well, this guy looked me in the eye and like more or less begged and he promised that he wouldn't, you know, screw us out of cat, you know, out of cash. Like he's going to buy credit card only. He's not going to do any returns. Like I just like would, I would just tell these people this stuff, you know, like handshake agreements type of things and just ask as, as candidly as I could. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much how I did it. And, and I got, I got everyone I wanted except for one, one of them, um, you know, a woman came by to like, look at the store and I wasn't there for some reason um, in the middle of the day, which wasn't good. Um, but then I like kept following up and then she, and then she just like basically ghosted me and I saw her at Interbike, which is like the, the big, um, international bike show. Um, well it, it's actually now dead, but the, it was a big thing historically. Um, right. I saw her at Interbike like that year 
And I like went up to her and like I asked her, I was like, why, why did you stop replying to my emails? Like I've been trying to get a hold of you for six months, blah, blah, blah. And she's just like completely disrespectful and rude right to my face. Like, oh, I drove by your store and no one was even there. And it's a little podunk shop. Like we're not opening an account like you, like just total, totally rude. And I was just like, well, that's that. Like that lady is totally rude. Like, why don't, you know, there wasn't too much else I could do. Like she was just like unnecessarily like aggressive and mean for no reason. It was like, well, some people are just like that. Welcome to planet earth. Um, but that was the only one I didn't get. And then sure enough, like a year later, once we had grown, I went back and she'd been fired. What do you know? Um, you like that. Believe yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, you fired her. Oh, that's that's funny because I only <laughs> totally thought she deserved to burn in hell. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so then I got the account open and um, and that was that. And then I like tacked them all down after after a couple years. So you know that that was definitely a, a hard, challenging part to the whole thing because yeah, you just have to put yourself out there. And I don't know, I I don't think that many people are are comfortable doing that. But that's another thing that like once you, I don't know, once you put yourself under pressure, you can probably do more than you think you could. Right. So for me, it was like you, I had to sign a 12 month lease on this building to open the store. And like, I had to make it work. Like I didn't really have a choice. And again, unless I wanted the whole thing to fail and lose money and sleep in the sleep in the car and, and pay it off. You know, I was like, I got to make this thing work. So I just begged and pleaded and, you know, just like tried to build rapport with everyone that came in from those, from those wholesalers and those brands. And, um, tried to make friends with them. And again, just like asked them candidly, tried to like calm their worries that they had and like try and like minimize the risk that they had for opening like a young, small sort of like unknown account, like I would have been for them. So yeah. yeah so I just, I just went for it, you know? And, and uh, yeah, most of the time it worked out. I, I got a lot of hesitation that I pushed through and I only got one totally rude, mean person. And you know, that was that. So it wasn't so bad. I'm, I'm glad you shared that because I feel like I'm kind of at that stage right now, like where my my accounts are the different studios and gyms that we're going to, to try and sell them on our service. So yeah, you hear your, to hear your story on that. Yeah, man, persistence is key. And then I've like, I think for me too, you know, I've, I'm just a super organized person, so I'm just good at following up. So like, I would just constantly follow up and be a squeaky wheel, but I would try, like, obviously I needed something from these people. Right. So I, I didn't want to be an annoying person. I didn't want to be like annoyingly pestering, but yeah. rather I would like be this guy that was like, every time you heard from me, I was nice. I was just totally kind and respectful and like, you know, tried to make friends with you and like built rapport. Um, and it was funny cause like I, I'd read, um, probably like a year prior people buy you people B U Y U and mm -hmm. it was just a sales book, right? It was just pretty much a sales book that really the whole entire philosophy of the book was like, you know, people will spend so much more money with you and buy things from you if they like you, like it's as simple as that. So like, yeah. how do you get them to like you? Like make friends with them, ask about their kids, like, you know, have a genuine interest in them as people and, you know, do things that flatter them, ask them for advice, ask them to help you, like what, whatever, like things like that. So I was just constantly like thinking of that, like, how do I build rapport with these people? How do I make sure that every time they hear from me, they're not annoyed, but rather they're like, oh, like, this guy's so nice. Every time I talk to him, like I'll always give him the time of day, even if like, I'm still going to tell him no, I'll still at least answer his phone call. So like, I just tried to make sure to do that, um, to make sure that like, again, people weren't annoyed with me, but rather they're like, ah, this guy's so nice, but damn, he just, he won't stop asking. And eventually they'll break, especially yeah. if like you build enough rapport and friendship with them, like they will break and like throw you a bone. So it just sometimes takes time and, and patience for sure. Yeah. That's good to hear. We're on, we're on the right track then, I think we're on the right track. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, so, uh, but but I didn't mean to cut you off there. I mean, we went on a kind of a big tangent on the uh, on your on on building your rapport with your different suppliers. What was it? Uh, what can go back to the growth of of the company from you know year one, year two, year three? Yeah, the, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, first year again, like a lot of it was the foundational stuff. Um, I think we did like two hundred and seventy five thousand in revenue, which was like just barely enough to pay all the expenses and, and break even. Um, year two, we did like 750, um, which we made wow. a little profit on, um, paid back. Well, another, another key part here too, was 
um, my mom gave me $20,000. Well, did not give me, loaned me $20,000 at 10% simple interest to, to start the initial business, right? To like fund the thing. Yeah. Um, I also got my dad to co-sign on the lease for that building. Cause like one, I didn't really have too much money. I had a little bit from racing and from the faucet shenanigans I did the year prior. Um, but so my mom gave me the 20,000 to 10% simple interest. My dad co-signed on the building cause no one's going to lease even a small building to a 21 year old kid with no credit history and yeah. no job. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that's how I got the building and then got enough money to like buy some initial product to sell. Um, yeah. so by year two, I had, uh, I'd paid my mom back entirely the, the 2,200 bucks, um, and then we were like debt free and in our business model, because a lot of it was, you know, buying inventory that we could then turn really quickly. Um, it, it was, it didn't require a ton of capital to scale because it wasn't like we were needing to manufacture in these large POs. We were just really purchasing from distributors and brands who had stock. So it was a good model for scaling quickly. It was, you know, because of that, there's, there's, there's always a give and take. So like the margin that we still currently operate off on is, is very slim. Um, so it's just different in that sense, but, but it, it was able to scale without needing basically any more money than that initial $20,000 loan from my mom to just really start the thing to roll. So wow. paid her back, um, by the end of year two and, um, yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then the third year in, uh, we'd moved buildings to, to double the size. And we went to like a 2000 square foot building for year three. And, and that was the first year we hit like 1.3 and I was like, wow, like this wow. is actually working. Like we had a, you know, a few full-time staff and like it was becoming a real thing. So year three, you know, breaking that million in revenue mark was cool. And then it was like, you know, then it was just like kind of the never ending game of like, well, this is super fun. This is working. We're having a good time. We're like bringing value to the industry. You know, what else can we do? Like, how can we scale this? How can we continue to make it be fun and operate efficiently and, you know, be of value to people and, and mountain bikers, you know, throughout the globe. And um, so, yeah, then we just kept pushing on it and, and trying and trying like different things and building out sort of our tech stack, just using a bunch of different SaaS products all linked together to have good, effective, like inventory management and offer certain products that we could sell and blah, 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 and just do different merchandising. And so, yeah, so like that was kind of how the first years, you know, then spiraled into, you know, by year like four, it, it, it's, it was very different, right? Like there was a handful of people full time and it was, it was, you know, kind of on the path to, to growing a lot more and, and getting more sophisticated and becoming less of like a dinky small business at that point. So yeah, that's how like the first few years went. Dang. And now you're, now you're just a, a kid in the sandbox playing, right? Like, yeah, you, you have, uh, you, the company's growing, like things are going really great and you just kind of, I, I would imagine like, it's still pretty hard, but it's probably more fun now, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I think that was like, to me, you know, one of the biggest advantages is I, I never really saw it like, sure, there was a ton of hours and work ethic involved in getting it there. So I don't mean to downplay that, but I, I didn't really feel it like that because to me, I just enjoyed the game of business. I just thought it was so fun. Mm -hmm. And, and I also just enjoyed the industry, right? Like I knew what products I was selling. I liked the products that I was selling. Um, the people that I hired were also into the industry and easily, easy to relate to. So yeah, so it, it was just, the whole thing was fun, you know, like, yeah, there was like some stressful times here and there, but I, I really don't have like, you know, there's plenty of other entrepreneurs that have much more like rags to riches or horror stories as they scaled their business. But I really don't have those. Like, yeah, there was a lot of hours and effort and thought and, you know, intentional focus that went into the whole thing. But at the same time, like, we were just having fun, you know, um, and, and the whole process was fun. And, um, to me like that, I thought, I just felt that was a huge advantage. Cause like, it was, you know, I thought about business while I was in the shower because like, I liked it. It was fun. It was enjoyable. It was like, it was like this crazy challenging puzzle piece of a fun game that I just like to play every day. So it, it certainly never felt like a quote unquote grind. It never felt like, you know, I was pushing a rock up a hill. Like it just felt like, it just felt yeah. like competing, you know, it was just fun. It was just a game that was enjoyable to play and just kept chugging away at it. Dang. That's the best mentality to have going into it. Like I remember back to my competing days when you're, when you're really in love with it, enjoy it. And I think that's, it's something I'm get more getting into now. I think for whatever reason, I think what, for whatever reason, when I started this, it maybe wasn't so much that the, the case, but I think now more so it is where uh, it's much more of the competing mentality. Like, like the same feeling that I get when, when I was running, like where you, you're yeah. so you're just so excited to 
to get to work and, and to build. And I think it, it comes as, I think as the company grows, I think it becomes more clear and I think more fun. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, man. Yeah, it totally does. I mean, I think like you can look at any stressful situation that way, right? Like, is this overwhelming and daunting and just like weight on my shoulders? Or is this just like a fun challenge that like I can conquer ambitiously with a smile on my face? Like those are two very different mentalities and perspectives. And one of them is a lot more enjoyable way to live life than the other. (laughs) You're hundred percent right. Yeah. So, so what's next then for worldwide cycle? What is, what's the next mountain that you guys are, are looking to cycle up? Yeah. So, uh, you know, so, so where we're at now, um, you know, we're, we're close to 50 people now, um, wow. we still have a location in, in California. Um, it's a lot larger now. Uh, we have a location in Reno, Nevada, and then one also in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, and they're all spread out mostly as retail stores, but also for logistics reasons. So, so it's, it's changed a ton, you know, it's, it's grown a lot and, you know, now it's, now we've done a lot of media and we've seen sort of, the value and the fun of, you know, YouTube and Instagram and like really capturing our audience and the enthusiastic high-end mountain bike sort of demographic and, and what that rider likes and enjoys. And, um, we've just had a lot of fun with that. And like, we we're enjoying like, you know, our brand like kind of resonates with the word fun a lot and it should, cause it's the mountain bike industry. Right. So like you shouldn't yeah. take yourself too seriously. Like we're nobody needs a $10,000 mountain bike and, but they sure are really fun to ride. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, we, we joke around a lot on social media and have a ton of fun with that. And like, just, you know, our big thing now is just like supporting mountain bikers having fun. And, and that's what we sort of do every day and, and we're enjoying it. You know, that's a good time. And sort of the, the next thing for us that we're targeting now, and, and this is kind of a natural evolution for any like retailer that gets to a certain scale, they start, uh, realizing the disadvantages of selling other people's products, retailing other people's products and wanting to own their own. So that's kind of the route we're going. Um, we uh, just a little over a year ago acquired a, a mountain bike apparel brand called Kettle Mountain mm-hmm. and sort of we're building that out right now. And I'm actually ambitious to like push that, um, not necessarily to be a mountain bike gear brand, but to be very like cross-functional, just like an outdoor brand. So like has some good mountain bike pieces, but pieces that work on the bike and off the bike and hiking and rock climbing and just general travel and adventure wear. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like where we're focusing a lot now. Um, just cause we're seeing like, you know, building out a direct to consumer apparel brand can fit with all of our same core values. It can, you know, it'll resonate with our same audience that we sort of have engaged and captive right now. Um, and it'll just be, you know, another fun thing to do that will be more vertically integrated. Cause like we'll actually control the supply chain and control, you know, the pricing and who sells it and all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, so we're sort of evolving into that route of just like starting to build out our own brands on top of running like, you know, the the sort of media outlet that we have now and the retail outlet that we have now. So yeah, continue to just like grow and evolve the whole thing. Um, and just constantly look at, you know, what's, what are the strengths, opportunities, weaknesses, and threats in this business, right? And like, how do we mitigate all of those weaknesses and threats moving forward? And like, how do we adjust our strategy to make sure in five years, we're in an incredibly healthy place um, and, and remain, you know, just focused on, on what actually works, you know, and gaining more control of our business in general and how sustainable it can be. And that's a big part of that. It's just like being more vertical, right? Like controlling yeah. your destiny more by owning the brands that you sell rather than just retailing other people's product. Totally. Like the Amazon of, of the cycle world, right? I've seen, that, that's, that's the kind of vibes I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, Amazon did the same thing, right? I mean, I, I think, honestly, the, the more you dig into like any retailer, they all do it, right? Like they all get to a certain size oh, and scale. Yeah, right. like yeah, and then they all start doing and some do it differently, right? Um, Amazon's an interesting case, like you look at like pharmacies, right? Like they're gonna have their, you know, generics, um, and, and their house brands. Um, and then you look at Amazon, Amazon's kind of done both, right? They have like Amazon basics, which is obviously almost like a generic in anything, yeah. like batteries, trash cans, shorts, like they just sell everything under Amazon basics. And then yeah. they own like a bunch of other brands that they don't even disclose publicly they own, but like, well, you can figure it out more or less. Um, and, and they're like, you know, more higher end boutique brands that like you would never think Amazon owned or know, but they do. Um, so Amazon is an interesting case like that, you know, whereas most retailers like, 
you know, Whole Foods, Walmart, whatever, they kind of have like their house brand and they try to like just mix it in next to their other products that they sell. So yeah, I mean, every retailer goes that route to where it's like, well, how do we control our destiny more? You know, we want to, we want a larger margin. We want more control of the supply chain. Um, yeah. And it's like, if you have the audience, you just start building out your own brand. So kind of a natural evolution there for what we're doing. Totally. So, um, you're a 21 year old kid again, uh, starting your business. What advice would you give to yourself or I guess any 21 year old kid starting their business today? I would say, um, I would say just jump in, you know, or, or yeah. you could just Nike it, just do it. Like, <laughs> I think, um, I think that's the biggest thing, man. I, I don't, I think there's like so much hesitation and overthought into things. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact of the matter is like, one, you need to like business. Like at the end of the like you have to just like the game, you know, and you have to care about it. If you're not interested in the game of business, that's fine but you'll, you're never going to end up at the top of one in that case. So don't try and start one. Um, that is as simple as that. But if you do like business and you're interested in entrepreneurship and you're interested in like everything that's, you know, that entails, then just jump in. Like, even if it's something super small or a side hustle, like that is the best way to learn. Cause you know, like the analogy I said earlier, business to me is like, in that sense, it's like riding a bicycle or like playing any hard sport, right? Like mm-hmm. you can read about it and theorize and think all you want, but until you actually just like do it, like that's the only way you're ever going to learn how to do it. So just jump in and, and try something, even if it's something totally small, even if it's just like finding a way to be, you know, build a small media outlet and be an affiliate for something like, I don't know, anything, just like jump in and like, that's how you learn. Um, it's as simple as that. And like, that's all, that's not only how you learn, but it's also how you like self-observe yourself and be like, well, do I like this? Like, mm-hmm. am I having fun playing this game or do I feel overwhelmed and out of my element and just like overly stressed out? Cause if that's the case, then like, you're probably, I mean, being an entrepreneur is like endlessly more challenging and complex and stressful than just sort of having it being employed. So, mm-hmm. so don't, don't overweight that it's it's not not for the faint of heart and like if you love it it feels totally fine and comfortable and you have a good time playing the game but if it feels overwhelming and you're just like pulling your hair out then like yeah you should probably just go be employed by someone and have make a good career that way and go climb the corporate ladder if you want or or whatever so yeah that's kind of my advice man i mean i think a lot of people have you know that i've talked to over the years especially younger kids that ask about it and it's just like just try something like just anything like just stop stop sitting here theorizing and thinking like if you're remotely interested in entrepreneurship and business, just try something, anything. And even if you lose like 10 grand, like who cares? You can just make 10 grand again over the next several years and pay yourself back if it doesn't work. But you yeah. end up building a multi-million dollar company and being like, totally. oh, I'm really glad I just tried that. <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, Jeff, we're reaching the hour mark. So I definitely want to be appreciated, uh, uh, respectful of your time. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing your journey. That was so much fun. Super cool to hear like the early days. I love, I honestly, I love hearing the early days of companies because I mean, guess one, because that's kind of where we're at, right? We're in, yeah. we're in the early days and it, it gives me hope. And I just, um, I find a lot of inspiration from it. So I, I think a lot of people who listen to this will as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I hope so, man. I'm curious to see, you know, your audience feedback on this and especially as your podcast grows. And I, I love these kind of podcasts too. Like even uh, like how I built this, dude, like listening to the early days of these huge companies from the founders, it's it's fun. It is enjoyable to hear that stuff. Totally, totally. Dude, thank you so much. That was freaking awesome. Um, there shouldn't be too much editing, so I'll, I'll get this out pretty quick. Um, and cool. Sharing on the socials and all that kind of stuff, so... Yeah, nice man. How's the podcast going? You just still getting good feedback on it, and yeah, no, it's it's, it's, totally, it's totally picking up steam, which is nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, and the, the thing I'm most excited about is like on a multi-year time horizon. Like I'm so I'm gonna be so excited to look back on this in, in a couple of years when you know when we're a much bigger, you know, if we're fortunate enough to be a much bigger business, which I think yeah, we're, um, and just kind of hear my conversations and where my it's like my it's my virtual diary. I feel like, and I think yeah. I think it's like the virtual diary of uh, other people I chat with too, just to kind of think where my headspace was at.